Let us go before the Lord and ask him for the blessing, the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. With your grace and truth, grant us by your mercies to receive, believe, and live according to your word. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask this for your glorious Son's name, Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Again, we are preaching from our gospel reading today. We are beginning with Mark chapter 1, beginning, or excuse me, yeah, um, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. Let us now hear God's word. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus and themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do, do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come. And they did not, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. These are the words of God. Transfiguration Sunday is the final climactic Sunday of the Epiphany season. Because the Epiphany season is the culmination of Advent, Christmas seasons, Transfiguration is really. Transfiguration Sunday is really the culmination of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Epiphany is sandwiched in between two great illuminations of Jesus to the world. As you know, Epiphany is a moment of sudden and profound insight where clarity emerges from confusion and often sparking a transformative realization. At the baptism of Christ, God the Father reveals that Jesus is the Son in whom he is well pleased. And as you know, it is Jesus' priestly ordination. God brings profound clarity to the hearers there at Christ's baptism of who Jesus is. This moment is truly a transformative realization for some that are there. 
at the transfiguration, the Father is going to again bring clarity to us as to the work and purposes of Christ. You know, for all of us in the church, familiarity can be a real challenge. We've heard certain parts of the scriptures so many times that we feel like, well, I know that, so I totally understand it. Many in this very room could explain and tell this story. If you've been in a church that's been on a lectionary, you've heard it read every Sunday, every, I mean every year on Transfiguration Sunday from one of the gospel readings. If you're reading your Bible through every year or just the New Testament every year, you've read this story. Well, what's going on here? What is its, its purpose? What is God telling us about himself, about Christ, and about what glory is and who we are to be? Today, we will be blessed to consider the transfiguration and its continuity of all the scriptures. By that I mean, where does the transfiguration fit in the entirety of the scriptures in Christ's work to redeem the world? We will also see how we can become sturdier in our belief on the doctrines of God. So we want to see how it fits in the larger story. We want to understand the, the solid truths of God's word, of who he says he is, and who we are to be. So it's sturdier in our doctrines. And then finally, we will see how the Spirit, because of the work of Christ in our lives, is even now conforming us to Christ in his glory, so that the gospel of our Lord and Savior is made visible to the world, to all of the nations. Now, our passage today begins with now after six days. Now, of course, this certainly begs the question, okay, what happened six days ago? Otherwise, it wouldn't make that connection for us. So let's, let's talk about what's happening, what's leading up to the transfiguration, and it'll help give us some context. We see in Mark chapter 7, remember we're in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 7, False teaching has permeated all over Israel. And even as we've talked about in earlier sermons over the last month or so, that these false teachings have permeated to the point where there are actually demons in the synagogues and people either are ignorant of it or don't care. Or maybe even uh, in collusion. And of course, this brought about an inability to listen, to understand. And of course, what we're going to see here is, as, as this is exposed, Jesus, we've talked about this, Jesus comes and he comes as a deliverer, and, and the healings that he does and the deliverances that he does are all clearing the way so people can return to right worship before God. All those unclean things that are keeping them from the sanctuary. <coughs> Excuse me, so we see at the end of chapter 7 that Jesus heals a deaf, mute person. So remember, they can't hear. They're in, they're in the synagogues. They can't hear. And what does Jesus do? He heals a deaf, mute person. In chapter 8, the religious leaders see, demand to see a sign. Now, I've got to tell you, this is absolutely ridiculous. 
When are they demanding this sign? Right after Jesus feeds 4,000 people with almost no food. And of course, that, that comes after he's already fed 5,000, after he's healing all these people, after he's casting out demons. He's doing all these miraculous things, and they're like, give us a sign. Then again, as a symbolic metaphor, Jesus heals a blind man. This blindness and deafness is predicted in many places in the Old Testament. One example is in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21 where it says this, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. And we see these types of passages throughout the prophets as they are, they are talking about the hardness of the hearts and how they cannot see or understand. Following this in, in Mark chapter 8, Peter recognizes Jesus as the Christ in verse 29. And then right after that, Jesus goes right in and speaks of his death on the cross. In, in chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, it says this, And he, that is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Jesus has been endeavoring to teach his disciples a different kind of authority. We talked about how Jesus in the synagogue spoke with authority. And of course, this different authority entails that they need to change their expectations about the kingdom as well as the king. So that's one of the questions we want to ask ourselves today. Do we have the right expectations of God's kingdom and of his king? So Peter, who rebuked Jesus, He's still blinded. This is after Jesus is explaining things. Like many of the day, the disciples are looking for a king to deliver them from what they believe their main obstacle to living a successful godly life. They're Roman oppressors. Hearing that they that that excuse me, hearing the disciples recognize that Jesus is talking about this kingdom, they're selected as his special disciples, they're going along with him. They recognize that they're kind of the de facto right hand and left hand men. Right? They're going to be his council. They're going to be his cabinet. Right? So they think that they are going to lead God's kingdom by political means. The disciples were seeking their own glory in the kingdom of Christ. They did not understand true glory is to give up peace and comfort for others. Just a few verses down, Jesus is going to tell his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. Verse 34 says, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. The transfiguration will be a confirmation of Jesus' identity, even with his persecution and death. Now, you really have to, I'm going to say this again because you really have to grasp this, that they're stuck in their way of thinking. And so God is going to not only speak about who Jesus is, but that they must hear him and that his words are true, even though Christ's persecution and death is not what they want to hear. So back to our passage in Mark 9, we see that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. This, of course, reminds us of Exodus 24, where Moses also takes three men up the mountain of God with him, and the glory cloud covered the mountain. Jesus is truly transfigured. The word here that is transfigured outside the Gospels only appears twice in the New Testament. The first is Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that is transfigured, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the power of the Spirit, we are to have our minds renewed, our minds transfigured into glorious and godly thinking, so that we can see the world in its true reality. When we think and live in the good and acceptable ways and will of God, God is glorified, and in that, the world sees the gospel. The second place we see this is from today's epistle reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, and of course the context here he's talking about again is Moses coming down with his face glowing, beholding as a mirror a glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that is transfigured, in the same image, image of what? Jesus Christ, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, we were created to be image bearers. This is, this is really important here. We, we know that, that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. God is glorious, and we are to reflect God's glory to Him. God gives us things. We take it. We take dominion. We make it better. We glorify it, and we give it back. That's part of what our tithes and offerings represent. Taking all our work from the week that we've taken and we've labored at, it symbolizes all that we've done, and we offer it back to God. But it is important that we recognize that we are mirrors of the Almighty. We are mirrors of Christ Jesus and His truth and salvation to the world. We are to reflect God's glory. Now, of course, sin has corrupted humanity. That's why he talks about a dim mirror, right? But Jesus is the uncorrupted man. So Jesus is more and truly human than any of us. He is the restoration of humanity. Being human is not a bad thing. Being a person, being a man, being a woman is not a bad thing. Your physical bodies, 
The created things are not bad. They're not the things we're trying to escape from. How do we know this? Because when God restores all things at the resurrection, do you have a body? You do. Will we walk in heaven? We will. Will we walk in earth? We will. From all the gospel accounts, we see Jesus, the faithful son, is transfigured in the radiance of glory. His white clothing is so white, in fact, that his garments, it says in one of the Gospels, appeared as light. Jesus' face shone like the sun. This reminds us of Exodus 34, where we see that Moses' face shone from being with the glory of God. It is also recorded in Acts 7 that Stephen, during his stoning, sees the glory of God. And listen to me. In that, he reflects the glory of Jesus, so much so that he lays down his life and his comfort for the gospel of Jesus. And you know who was standing around there when he saw the glory? What many consider to be the greatest apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul. He was there. He wasn't the only one. God transformed a lot of people that were there that day. But we know about Paul. We, the church, will reflect the glory of Christ by the Spirit who conforms us to Christ. We are made, you were created, to glow. You know, not like in the 80s when there was all these sparkles people were putting on their faces. No, we were made to reflect God's glory. But sin, sadly, has diminished us. Because of the work of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we are changed so that we may reflect His glory. And thus, the gospel is revealed to the world. Now, I want to step back and say, just for a second, it isn't just for out there. I'm going to talk about this a little later, but in that reflection of God's glory and who Christ is, to your spouses, to your children, to your co-workers... To that person that cuts you off in traffic, maybe they won't be able to really see and understand that. But are you hearing what I'm saying? Returning to our narrative, we see here on the mountain these three disciples see Jesus for what he truly is. The eternal son of the father. Jesus is the glorified man. What man was created to be. The mountain that they're on is corresponding to the mountain of Eden, the place where God both created the garden and created Adam. Jesus is glorified on the sixth day, just as Adam was created on the sixth day, and is the, the, the culmination, the great and glorious capstone to God's creation, is man, Adam. And of course, the cloud on the day of transfiguration overshadows Jesus, just as the Spirit overshadowed all creation at the beginning. After the cloud is gone, the disciples will only see Jesus. When they head down the mountain, they will speak of the restoration of all things, that is, the new creation. Now, I'm talking about all this stuff, and it's a little challenging. We need to understand glory. Jesus is glorified by the Father. Sin enters into Adam first, but into all of us 
when glory is reached for and seized prematurely. This is actually the sin of Adam. And this was, in fact, what Satan was offering Christ when he offered him the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. He's saying prematurely, right here, right now, this is what you want to do. Seize it prematurely. Jesus gave glory to the Father and waited as the faithful Son for the Father to glorify Him. Consider Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of the bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus does not seek glory for himself, but waits for the Father to exalt him. We too must live to reflect the glory of Jesus. Later in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12, it says this, When we walk as children of God without fault, that is to be conformed with Christ, transfigured, that you shine as lights in the world. When we reflect His glory, we are transfigured. We change. This is not a change of your nature, but being glorified by His grace and power by the Spirit. We will shine forth His glory. The Word tells us that Elijah and Moses appeared with Him and they were talking to Jesus. And we will realize that Jesus is the greater Moses and greater Elijah. We know the content of this conversation by the passage in Luke chapter 9. We learn that Moses and Elijah were speaking to Jesus of his decease that Jesus is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. This sounds confusing, this word decease, but the Greek word translated as decease is actually the Greek word exodus. Jesus, like Moses, is going to lead his people out of the bondage of sin by being the sacrificial lamb in Jerusalem. Here Moses and Elijah rejoice because they see Jesus in the glory of his humanity. The fulfillment of all the promises of the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. The disciples rejoice because they see Jesus' glory revealed in his divinity. The disciples are awestruck, overwhelmed with the heaviness of the glory, and are downright afraid. Now, by the way, the word glory in the scriptures actually means heavy. It's a heaviness. It's, and, and, and if you're in the glory of God in a sinful condition, it is heavy. It's a burden. In Christ Jesus, when your sins are forgiven, you're, you're glorified by the work of Christ. His righteousness is put on you, and that heavy burden is lifted off. Peter, eventually, uncertain of what to do or think, suggests that they build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. Now, Peter's thinking is not really far off. 
The tabernacles that he wants to build come from the Feast of Tabernacles, where all of Israel would gather together and build little tabernacles made of tree branches. And the, the whole purpose of having those tree branches as tabernacles was to symbolize climbing up to the treetops and being closer to the glory cloud. These little tabernacles of worship, that's what they're about. So his, his mind is like, okay, we got the glory, we got all this going on, why don't we build some tabernacles to symbolize this? And of course, we need to also understand this. At the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would sacrifice, Israel would sacrifice a total of 70 bulls. Those 70 bulls are representing the 70 nations. And those, of course, are all the nations listed in Genesis. That's all the nations of the world. During the Feast of the Tabernacles, Israel would commemorate the promises of God for them, remembering back to all that God has done, and then remembering forward that God has called them to be the priests of the nations so that the gospel truth would be preached. Israel's deliverance would lead to the deliverance of the world. Jesus is the final deliverance of sin, death, and misery. We see prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, I watched, this is, this is Daniel seeing a vision. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated, and his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was of pure wool. His throne was a fire of flame, and its wheels burning with fire. Do you see the correlation of the thrones of the Ancient of Days and how Christ is being described here? and Christ at the transfiguration. Later down in verse 13, we see why he's doing this. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, that is going up, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. I'm going to pause right there because there's a little more to that. What is the dominion and glory and kingdom for? It's answered in the next verse that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, the disciples needed to get off this mindset. It was by political means that Jesus was going to transform the world. He was coming for dominion and glory and, and his, establishing his kingdom so that all the nations and languages would serve him. Well-intentioned or not, Peter is on the wrong path. And the Father responds to Peter and declares this in verse 7 of Mark 9. And the cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. This is the startling fulfillment. Deuteronomy 18 tells us, that Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses speaking, from your midst and from your brethren, him you shall hear. And a little more clearly, God is declaring this himself in Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all I commanded him. God is telling the disciples and us today that we need to hear the words of Jesus. They're God's words. 
God is stating that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. The disciples, who already held Moses and Elijah in great regard, needed to heed Jesus as the greater Moses and greater Elijah. Now here in the scriptures, to hear, remember we've talked about God gives us our ears are the organ of submission. Sort of like right now, except for maybe the few babies in the back, right? I speak and you're all quiet and listening, right? You're submitting by listening. But hearing is more than just getting it in your ear. It means to obey and never forsake. For example, Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. What does that mean? We hear it and then we go and do it not forsaking it. It's not just something that is in your head, but it works out in how you live your daily life. <clears throat> if you don't believe and obey Jesus' words, you will lose your life. The disciples needed to hear Jesus and change their expectations. In chapter 8, Jesus' rebuke of Peter comes and he, call, and he turns the subject and, and he calls Peter and all his dis disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. The contention that prompted the rebuke was about Jesus being delivered up to suffer and die. Peter and the disciples could not hear. This is important for all of us right here. It is hard to hear that the Messiah has his own plan and that he would suffer and die. And this is especially true because this was not the popular teaching of the day. People of God, guard yourselves from popular teaching if it's not God's word. We need to know that the way of God, the way of Jesus, and the way for us is to give up our own interests for God's will, to die to ourselves, to die to our own self-preserving desires. We're learning here that glory comes through suffering and death. Many of the popular teachings of our day are about warm self-help and affirming people in a so-called gospel that is then tied to a creation that is simply going to perish. But the glory of the gospel, as it says in 1 Peter 2, is this. For to this you were called, because of Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And speaking of him, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus delivered us from sin, and the Father raised him and called Jesus by his ascension to the highest point of glory. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because we are healed in Christ's suffering and death, we are able to properly reflect the glory of what the gospel message truly is. That is the sure hope that God in Christ is reconciling men to himself for his glory and graciously to us 
for our benefit. There is an absolute assurance that Jesus is redeeming all of creation. You cannot have hope if you don't believe there is a future. We in Christ Jesus have a future. We know that the Bible tells us, For the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You see this connection? The, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. What is the glory? What is this knowledge of the glory of God? It is understanding the gospel message that Christ has come. He suffered and died. He rose again to deliver us from our sins. And we then in turn are to reflect that glory. So the gospel message goes out. Our glorification has already begun and begins even now as revealed in God's word. Coming back to our epistle reading today, 2 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transfigured into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For Paul, the Spirit is identified in the real and particular human community of the New Covenant. That's a long sentence there, but that means you. That means the church. And this real and particular human community of the New Covenant is transformed by God's power so as to make Christ's message the gospel visible to all. If we are in Christ, we are by the Spirit being conformed to Him. What Christ is, you the church are as well. I'm going to say that again. What Christ is, you the church are as well. What is true about Christ is true about you. And, and that's really important because if... if what is true about Christ and His righteousness, if that's not true about us, all this is for nothing. Are you tracking? I hope so. In this, we need to understand that this is truly what all of Christ for all of life means. We, the church, are His bride. And why are we His bride? So that the message of the gospel would be known. We have been conformed to Christ by the Spirit. If Jesus lays his life down for others, do we? If Jesus' words are the words of life, are your words words of life? If Jesus is the bread from heaven, are we the bread that by the power of God is there every day for the hungry? If Jesus is the obedient Son trusting the Father, for His perfect timing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just repeat this again, because I'm your pastor. If I can be real for a minute, every household struggles with this from time to time. Some of you are in the throes of it right now, so please hear this. If Jesus is the obedient Son, trusting the Father for His perfect timing, are we content to wait and trust God's sovereign providence? Christ has been made manifest in us. 
We must believe what his word says, even if we don't know how obeying will make things better. We must believe what his word says, even if we don't know how obeying will make things better. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Jesus is truly manifested in us as we live daily. The promises in Christ will certainly be complete in the resurrection. But we are reflecting the glory of Christ and his gospel message today. If God is glorifying his son, we are assured that all things are being made right for us. His son's glorious bride. Let us pray together. We give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God. We glorify you through Jesus Christ, who at the transfiguration revealed his glory to his disciples, that they might be strengthened to proclaim his cross, death, and resurrection. As you shared your glory with your Son, we ask that you transform us to pick up our cross and follow you, not for our glory, but so that others may see our good works and glorify you. Help us, we pray, to build up our husbands, wives, children, parents, and all those whom you have given us to serve. We laud and magnify your glorious name forever and ever. Amen.